I need rest. Anybody else need rest? Just for fun, a little snapshot uh, of, uh, of, of our lives. Uh, April 28th, uh, Trevor became, uh, turned 16, became another driver in our household. Two weeks later, uh, yesterday, Mia turned 16, we'll have another driver in our household. Two days ago, Chris, oh yeah, there we go, that's fine. Two days ago, Chris turned 13. Oh, by the way, that's four teenagers in the house at the same time. And simultaneously as the birthday yesterday, uh, Kaylin, our oldest, had her senior prom. Yeah, good, awesome, fun things. We love our kids. We love celebrating all they do. (laughs) And I'm tired. I need rest. Do you need rest? You know, I mean, even, even from the good things, right? Even from the celebrations of life, even the things that we enjoy and love participating in, we can get to a point where we need rest. But then add to that the fact that in those same few days or couple weeks that I described are mixed in the challenges of life, the relational dysfunction, the sinfulness, the, the, the struggles, the things that we encounter, the things that I bring upon myself, and then I need rest. Do you need rest? But what kind of rest do we need? Just, just that kind of physical rest? Just a break from all the action? Or is there a longing for something deeper? What kind of rest do we need? Uh, grab your Bibles, if you would, if you haven't done so already, and open to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth is a small book in the Old Testament. Joshua judges Ruth. Then you'll see First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Look at your table of contents if you need to. Old Testament portion of your Bible toward the front of your Bible, or pull out your device and open your Bible app and find Ruth chapter 3, if you would, and in a moment we'll begin studying there. This is the week four out of five in the book of Ruth, and you'll definitely get more out of it if you've been here, but if you haven't been here, it's okay, because hopefully, not hopefully, I know, God will speak to you through his word this morning as well. So Ruth chapter 3. And while you get there, I just want to do a a couple of heads up. I'm Derek, uh, and uh, it's my privilege to be one of the pastors here, and we're going to open God's word as we always do. And the other thing, I want to just give you a heads up that we're going to end our time of worship this morning together a little differently. We're going to teach God's word now together. Uh, We're going to study together as we always do. We're going to respond in in song and lifting our voices in worship with one song. And then I'm going to come back up at the end, and I just have a few uh, comments uh, before I head out on sabbatical, and we're going to close our time of worship with a time of prayer. So I just want you to be ready for that so that as soon as that one song is done, you're not ready to run out the door. Can you you stick around for a couple minutes? All right. Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 begins with a search for rest. Ruth chapter 3 begins with a search for rest. If you've been with us, if you've read the book of Ruth before, you know that Naomi lost her husband. Then her sons were married to Moabite women, including Ruth. And then Ruth lost her husband. And so Ruth chapter 3 begins with a search for rest. And there's practical rest that they need. But what else do they need, and will they find it? And I think as we study God's word today, this true story 
from history of God's people, we're going to see that, I think as we see their story, we're going to see what God has for us this morning, which is this, that while we do and should and can seek rest, we can pursue God and seek rest with God. What we need to see even more than that, though, is that real, needed, true, biblical rest cannot be achieved by our striving, by our trying, by our efforts, by our behavior. Rest with God is a gift from God. We're going to see that this morning. So Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you so that it will be well with you. So remember, Naomi's a widow. We just went over that. She's been wanting Ruth to get remarried since chapter one. They've been through difficult circumstances, but Ruth has been, Naomi has been expressing to Ruth, knowing that perhaps what's best for her, the place of best rest, at least culturally, would be in marriage, to be remarried again. So Naomi is expressing her care for Ruth here and saying, shouldn't we be looking uh, for rest for you. Naomi, caring for her daughter-in-law, wants the rest and security and provision that marriage would provide, especially in their culture. And so Naomi cares for Ruth and is expressing this. I'm sure uh, if you're a parent, I would hope, perhaps you can relate to this, this desire to ha- have your kids and have what's best, right? Anybody else or just me? Do we desire our kids to have what's best, what God's best is? Any parents uh, sometimes like the idea of arranged marriages? <laughs> Naomi, Naomi, is, it has, Naomi has Ruth's best in mind. Verse 2. So Naomi continues. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? So, bing! Naomi's got an idea. Naomi wants to be a matchmaker. Can you kind of hear it? Is not Boaz a relative of ours? I don't know if that was her voice or not, but it seems like it could have been, right? But here's what's encouraging about Naomi. It's encouraging right here that Naomi has a plan and is encouraged and is seeking care for Ruth because if you've been with us, if you've seen the journey that Naomi and Ruth have been on, Naomi has struggled with bitterness that caused her to slink into self-centeredness and depression. And it didn't seem that that Naomi in, in the previous chapters was very responsive or thinking of others. And here we have an indicator that Naomi is starting to think of someone other than herself. And she thinks of Boaz. And what does she know about Boaz, who we met in the previous chapter? She knows that Boaz is what's called, the Bible calls, a kinsman redeemer, which is this uh, extended relative of their family. And according to Old Testament law, these people in position of being kinsmen redeemers had the option or, or, or were a possible way for the family to receive help for for God's kindness to come to a family. In this case, Naomi and Ruth are both without uh, husbands. They're without children. And this kinsman redeemer has the option of preserving the family line, bringing children back in to carry forward that family's line. This kinsman redeemer has the opportunity to buy back property or bring people out of debt or bring help 
to the family in other ways. And so the question here is, does that system, uh, does that system, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Does that apply to Boaz? And if so, will Boaz follow through? Will Boaz be willing to take on this incredible responsibility in order to preserve this family? So Naomi continues in the next part of verse 2. So remember, okay, let's just start uh, with verse 2 again. So Naomi says, Is not Boaz, Boaz our relative with who you, Ruth, were hanging out with the ladies? See, Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So Naomi has come into this information. She's come into Boaz's schedule for some, in some way. And so she's starting to cook up an idea. She knows where Boaz is going to be. She knows what they're going to be up to. He'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Okay, the, the barley season the, has come to an end. The barley is harvested. And this was often a community project where multiple farmers would gather together at the threshing floor and thresh the, the, the grain to separate the grain from the chaff. And they would pile up great big piles of grain, this farmer's pile here and this farmer's pile here, and it was this community project to finish off the harvest together. And when you end up with a pile of grain, that's a celebration, right? A reason to celebrate God's provision and his kindness to you. And so this threshing floor opportunity is often a community celebration of God's provision and care. So Naomi knows that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, Naomi knows that Boaz loves and follows God. Naomi knows that Boaz has a job. Do you see what she's starting to think here? Naomi knows that Boaz can provide for a family. Naomi seems to have observed that perhaps Ruth had taken notice of Boaz and perhaps Boaz had taken notice of Ruth. So parents, if you're into arranged marriages, is this sounding pretty good so far? There's some positive indicators here about Boaz, right? So what is the plan that Naomi comes up with? Verse 3. Naomi continues, speaking to Ruth. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. In our cultural context, with things that come to our over-sexualized minds because of our influences, because of the movies we watch and the TV shows we watched, raised eyebrows to these circumstances. As a dad of daughters, I'm thinking, uh, uh, What? Naomi, you want Ruth to go do what? Take a shower, put on perfume, put on her nice clothes. What's the purpose? Well, the purpose was to become more attractive, to make herself attractive. But I think there's an even more significant piece of this. In doing, in taking those steps, Ruth would be setting aside her period of mourning as a widow, having mourned her, her former husband's death long enough, she would be putting aside the mourning clothes, making it clear that she was available. And the other part of Naomi's plan was to wait until after Boaz is done eating and drinking. Hmm. 
Is Naomi out of her mind? Is Naomi desperate? I mean, if we're, if, we're, if we're reading this kind of first glance, if we don't totally know the situation, if we don't take into account the cultural context, then we go, man, it sure seems like Naomi's grasping for straws. She's willing to compromise Ruth, put Ruth in a, in a dangerous situation just to get her a husband. Or, or maybe there's something more going on here. Perhaps this is a carefully calculated risk. A risk, but a carefully calculated one. Perhaps this is not as sketchy of a situation as it sounds to us. Uh, again, when we see this in our, with our cultural lenses on, we may see something different, but perhaps this is a carefully calculated risk and not as dangerous as we would think. So, uh, that said, this is, always, this is kind of a good place for me to just say this uh, general truth about Scripture. There is much of Scripture that is clear commands that apply to us today as well. And then there is plenty of Scripture as well that, are, that is similar to this story, where I would say this is a story that is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it is describing to us the way that God orchestrated these circumstances for these people in that cultural context. He is describing that. He is not necessarily prescribing you that want a husband to go lay down at their feet and uncover their feet in the middle of the night. You see the difference? Descriptive, not prescriptive. This isn't necessarily your one, two, three house, two steps to get a husband. Verse five. So Naomi gets done with her little plan, and verse 5, Ruth responds. And Ruth replies, all that you say, I will do. She knows it's a risky situation. She knows there's a risk. She knows she's putting her reputation on the line. She knows there could be uh, potential rejection by Boaz. Naomi's plan And as Ruth considers whether she should follow through or not, this plan depends on Boaz. There's going to be some action taken on Ruth's part, and then it's going to depend on what kind of man Boaz is. Verse 6, So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry... He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. I think it's important to clarify, I don't think Boaz is drunk. The Bible says there he is merry, he is kind of contented. Remember the situation is they've worked hard, they've finished the harvest, they've done the threshing, they've piled up the grain, there's a celebratory, there's a festive mode for what God has provided, and Boaz is contented with life. He's feeling good and he's thanking God for for all that he's done. And so Boaz lies down near his pile of grain. Why would they sleep at the threshing floor? They'd stay there and sleep near their pile of grain to keep it away from robbers. So they stay. And this is what Ruth or Naomi knew the situation would be. Verse verse 7 continues. Then she, Ruth, came softly and uncovered Boaz's feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. So what's going on here? Some would suggest looking for trouble, maybe more influenced with cultural lenses of our, of our modern culture. 
Some would suggest this uncovering the feet or uncovering the lower half of the body is a, a euphemism for sexual content. But plenty of scholars uh, would say that that doesn't need to be the situation here, that the language here does not need to indicate that. Uh, instead, it, it, it can be just what we heard. It could be, it's late at night, they're sleeping outside, uncover his feet, lift the blanket up from the, top of his, or from the bottom of his body, and perhaps the cold air would stir and wake Boaz in the middle of the night. So yes, the situation uh, definitely reeks of risk. The situation, the audience uh, reading this book, you hearing this story would understandably be, uh, feel uncomfortable and not be certain if these circumstances were going to lead to good things between a man and a woman. The situation, as a, the situation here on the threshing floor is at very least awkward. Go lay down, uncover his feet, see what he does next. At very least, the situation's awkward, and at, at worst, the situation could lead to sexual assault. This story takes place in the period of the judges. We've said in recent weeks that it was a period of history where God's people had re rebelled against God and were going their own way and were doing what they thought was what was good in their own minds. And these circumstances definitely are risky and definitely could have gone a certain way. But who's involved? What do we know about the two people involved? Ruth and Boaz. What we've seen from God's word in previous verses is that the two people involved in this threshing floor encounter are people of high character, people that love and follow God. So while the circumstances might say to us they could go one way, let's see how they interact. How do these two people of high character, how do these two God-fearing, God-following people interact with each other? Verse 9, Boaz says, who are you? And here's where Ruth seems to depart from Naomi's plan. Naomi said, uncover his feet and then see what happens. See what Boaz says. But Ruth answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. Some of your translations, if you're looking at a different translation of the Bible than mine, it might say, spread your garment over your servant. For you, Ruth says to Boaz, for you are a redeemer. What is this wing business? There's kind of a double meaning going on here. This word could be translated wing. It could be translated garment. In ancient practice, it was kind of like getting engaged. In ancient practice, putting the edge of your garment and covering someone was, uh, was a, a, um, an indicator of, of a covenant, of, of an arrangement, of an agreement. And so it, it could be similar to giving a ring, to get engaged. And Ruth is such a person of high character that she doesn't leave the situation ambiguous. She doesn't just wake up in the middle of the night at the feet of a man and, and let happen what happens. She speaks up and says who she is and says what her intentions are. She doesn't leave it ambiguous. She makes it clear what she wants. She said, spread your wings over me. Spread your garment over me. Ruth is not looking for an illicit sexual encounter, but she's seeking rest. She's seeking the rest of provision and security and, and care in marriage with Boaz. And in, and in Ruth seeking rest 
in marriage with Boaz, she's also seeking care for Naomi because Ruth's loyalty to care for Naomi, her mother-in-law. So she's going to Boaz, and she's boldly speaking her intentions. Ruth doesn't necessarily propose marriage like we might picture it, but she pretty much tells Boaz that he should. That's, that's kind of what's happening here. So where does, where does Ruth get this idea? Where does she get the idea that she could be so bold, take these risks, go into this situation that could be misinterpreted, that could be misunderstood? Where else, where, where does she get this idea? Well, where else do we see the term wings previously in this story? If you turn back to chapter 2, if you want, you can look at chapter 2, verse 12. And when Boaz, when Boaz met Ruth, he was really impressed with Ruth's reputation. When Ruth arrived as a foreigner in this new land, her reputation spread. And Boaz had heard and was impressed by Ruth's reputation as someone that was so loyal to Naomi and caring for Naomi. And so when Boaz hears that, Find my spot in my notes. Here we go. When Boaz, thinking of, of Ruth's reputation, Boaz says to Ruth in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth has come to Boaz to take refuge. In our, in earlier in the story, Ruth has come to Boaz to find grain, to hope for provision, to hope to scrape out a living. And in, and in finding Boaz providing for her, Boaz equates that to that Ruth sought shelter in the wings, under the shelter, under the wings of God, of the Lord. So, so, where, so he's equating those two things. Um. So John Piper, an author and a pastor, suggests this. He suggests that Boaz, in previous interactions, had given Ruth the impression he was open to being the kinsman redeemer. We could, we, could, we could guess that from their previous interactions, Boaz had given an indicator that he would be willing to follow through and be a kinsman redeemer to, to help out this family in dire circumstances. So... I don't think the situation was as dangerous, as desperate as it may look to us. I think Naomi and Ruth are trusting God's kindness to them. We've talked about the last couple of weeks, the word has said in the original language is, is a word in the Hebrew that means God's loyal love, his kindness. And I think that Ruth and Naomi are trusting God's kindness to them through Boaz's kindness to them. So therefore, the plan wasn't as risky as it seemed. It was a carefully considered plan to see if Boaz meant it, to see if he would follow through, to see if he would be the kinsman redeemer, to see if he would step up for this family. So while they took initiative, while Naomi made a plan and while Ruth carried out this plan, while they did take initiative to seek rest, to seek security, to seek provision in marriage. Ultimately, the results of the situation depended on Boaz. Ruth and Naomi played a part. They put themselves out there. But ultimately, what they were doing was put the, putting themselves in the hands of another. 
entrusting these circumstances, entrusting the results to another person, to Boaz. And so here's where we are seeing what we can learn from this story that applies to us as well. And that's that while we can and should seek rest with God, while we can pursue God, while we can strive to know him, while we should look for our rest to be found in God alone, finding rest, finding true rest that God only provides is not something that we can achieve. It's not something that comes from efforts. It's not something that I strive for, I try hard for, that I'm religious, and that I now gain God's favor and I can enter into God's rest. No, true rest, biblical rest, is a gift from God. It depends not on our actions, but on the actions of another. So what's the situation here? Recap where we are, the situation. Um, Think of the potential awkwardness of this situation. We got to, you know, as we often say, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the story here. Put ourselves in the story. Think of the awkwardness here. Perhaps they're interested in each other. Perhaps not. Perhaps it's a little romantic. Perhaps not. But what, what, is, what are all the intricacies of the circumstances? We have a widow and an older man. We have someone who's basically, Ruth, been an employee to an employer in recent weeks. We have a situation where Ruth is a foreigner, a Moabite, a despised foreigner, and Boaz is from among God's people. He's older, she's younger. There's all these circumstances where the situation needs to be handled carefully with sensitivity. And so Ruth has come, and she has said, spread your wings, spread your garment over me, marry me, redeem the situation. And so will this plan work? Naomi came up with this plan. Ruth put herself out there, but now it's in the hands of another. Verse 10. And Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. The situation was awkward. It could have been misunderstood. It could have been misinterpreted. A woman showing up in the middle of the night could have been taken advantage of. It could have even led to assault. But Boaz, the big-time believer and follower of God, responds to this circumstance with prayer. It doesn't go the way we worry it's going to go. And instead, Boaz diffuses the situation with prayer. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Boaz is flattered. Boaz seems flattered. He's older. He indicates that she could have, Ruth could have chosen others to try to get their family into better circumstances. He thinks, I don't know, maybe Boaz thinks she's out of his league. You know, she, he's going, hey, this is really kind of you to think of me. He considers it her kindness. So here again, we got to remember, we have a story taking place in the midst of a depraved culture of people going against God, doing their own thing, and yet shining like a beacon of light in the middle of this dark period of God's people is a man, Boaz, who is upright and righteous and trusting in God and wants to do the right thing and wants to care for other people. Boaz doesn't take advantage of the situation. How does he respond? Verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Ta-da! Good news. Naomi's plan 
Ruth put herself out there. She went to the threshing floor. She uncovered the feet. She boldly says, will you marry me and redeem the situation? And it seems like, ta-da, Boaz said, I will do all that you say, all that you ask for. For all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And so, ta-da, they live happily ever after, right? (laughs) The story just... Took a, it's about to take a severe left turn. Here we go. Verse 12. Boaz continues. And now it is true, Boaz says, that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I, a redeemer closer to the situation. There is someone else who has the responsibility in this situation to redeem. So just when we thought it was a done deal, just when we thought Ruth and Boaz were as good as married... Boaz, a man of upright integrity, a man of God, says, but there's another person who's closer to the situation. There's another person in line to redeem. So it's important to note here, we've talked a little bit about what kinsman redeemer is and what there is the potential for this kinsman redeemer to help the situation, to continue the family line, to bring a family out of poverty, etc. But the fact of the situation is that for whatever various reasons in these circumstances, Boaz is not technically obligated here. So Ruth, Naomi's plan, and Ruth in putting herself out there and coming to Boaz, what, they're, what Ruth is asking is for Boaz to follow through anyway. That even though he's not technically obligated by the law to redeem, Ruth puts herself in Boaz's hands. Her circumstances, her, the results depend on another person. She asks Boaz to follow through anyway. And listen as Boaz responds with hesed, kindness, and grace. Verse 13. Boaz says, remain tonight, and in the morning, if that other guy will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So there we have it. Boaz says, I will do it. I am willing. I am willing to take on this responsibility, these extra finances, this awkward social situation of marrying a foreigner, a Moabite. I am willing. I am a, a, Boaz is saying, I am a conduit of God's said kindness. We have a God who is loyal and loving and kind. And one of the ways we as God's people experience the kindness of God is through the kindness of others. And here is Boaz being a conduit, being a channel of God's said kindness to Ruth and, and, and therefore to Naomi as well. I will do it. But first, Boaz is saying, but first, there's a little matter that needs to be settled. So then if we were to continue reading the next few verses, in verses 14 to 17, Boaz watches out for Ruth's reputation. He sends, he makes sure that the situation doesn't, um, couldn't be misunderstood or misinterpreted. He watches out for Ruth's reputation and he sends her home. And not just does he send her back to Naomi, but he sends uh, Ruth back to Naomi with yet another big 40-pound bag of grain or more. And, and, and this is yet again an indicator of God with more love and kindness poured out to Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. And so then Ruth gets home, and Naomi, of course, wants to know, well, how'd it go? Did the plan work? Are you married? And, and uh, verse 18 is Ruth giving Naomi an update. 
uh, or no, I'm sorry, verse 18 is after Ruth updates Naomi. She says, okay, well, here's how it went. Here's what happened. And verse 18 is Naomi replying, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, let's see what happens with this other man because uh, the man Boaz will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So what will become of Ruth and Naomi, these struggling and poor and poverty and widowed and, and not in a very good circumstances, what will become of Ruth and Naomi? Will Boaz come through? Is there a future for Ruth and Boaz? And what does all of this have to do with God's plan of rescue for his people? What does all of this have to do with God's work in our lives? Find out next Sunday. But, but for chapter 3, what we need to know, what we need to ponder this morning, having looked at chapter 3, is that we saw that Naomi and Ruth made efforts to seek practical rest. They, they are in dire circumstances. They, their lives need uplifting. Their circumstances need to improve for the sake of their future. And so we see in chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth make efforts to seek rest, to find a situation that will bring about provision and care and security for them. But ultimately, the results, their future security is in the hands of another. They've entrusted themselves to Boaz, their lowercase r, Redeemer. They've said, Boaz... It depends on you. We've, we've sought a situation. We've pursued practical rest and our needs to be met. And you, Boaz, our lowercase r, redeemer, it's up to you. And so what we want to see this morning from God's word, church family, is that we need rest. And yes, Some of our circumstances are similar to Naomi and Ruth. We need practical rest. We need physical rest. We need uh, perhaps improved income or future or security or safety. But more importantly, this story needs to point out to us that we need rest, that we need rest with God, that we need true biblical rest. We need eternal rest. We need the promises of God fulfilled. We need our spiritual journey to come to a glorious conclusion of being transformed into the image of Jesus. What does that look like in the short term? We need God's rest in the short term, being free from the weight of trying to do it ourselves. That's what rest looks like in the now, is being free from the struggle, from the weight of trying to earn God's favor by my efforts. In the here and now, today and this week, and in your earthly life, rest with God is being free from striving and hoping to behave and hoping to do enough to make God like you. And in the long term, what does God's rest look like? God's word is clear too that that rest with God is going to be even better in the future. When Jesus returns and sets all things right, the Bible promises us that that rest that awaits us is the best, ultimate, eternal rest with God. And so we should take initiative. Church family, seek God. 
pursue a relationship with Jesus. Learn what God is speaking to you through his word. Fellowship with other followers of Jesus. Seek rest with God. There's a, there, there, there is a, a part that Ruth and Naomi played to pursue rest, and there's, a, there's aspects in which we can seek rest. But it can only be gained as a gift from God. Don't miss that part. It's not earned. It's not because of your efforts. It's not if you match up. Seek after finding rest in God, but know that finding true rest is found only in putting ourselves in the hands of another. Finding rest with God comes when we entrust ourselves to the capital R, Redeemer, Jesus, saying, I can't do it on my own. Jesus, rescue me. You are our capital R Redeemer. It depends on you. And life with God is a gift from God. So, as I read these words of Jesus, you can read them on the screen if you want, or you might actually prefer to close your eyes and hear Jesus with this invitation. Jesus speaking to you this morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Father in heaven, we do need rest. We, we tend to run around striving. We tend to run around busier than we can manage. We tend to run around distracted by things and people and technology and details and circumstances. We tend to scramble through the ups and downs, the roller coasters of earthly life. We tend to scramble through those circumstances, hoping to somehow manage it ourselves, to get it under control, to do it ourselves. Father, we need rest. Would you help us to come to the end of ourselves? While we do, and while we can, and while we should seek after you to find rest, would you help us to come to the end of ourselves and recognize that we cannot find true rest, that we cannot accomplish true rest except by receiving your gracious gift through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are a father who sees us and knows us and cares for us and pursues us. God, we thank you for your son, that you sent your son into our circumstances to live and die and be raised again so that we too can have life. God, we thank you that you offer true rest through Jesus. So teach us to entrust ourselves to him to quit striving, to, to quit thinking we can manage, to quit thinking we can manipulate our circumstances. God, instead, help us to lift our eyes and entrust ourselves to our capital R, Redeemer, your Son, Jesus. 
And as Jesus grabs a hold of our lives, I pray that we would be increasingly transformed, that we would be new people. As your word says that we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new is come. You are making us into new people because of the work of Jesus by his Holy Spirit in us. Make us, give us a new hearts and new minds and new attitudes. Transform us from the inside out that we would not live for ourselves, but that we would increasingly be conduits of your has said kindness to those around us. God, may our lives be lives of worship. May every part of what we do together on Sunday morning, may every aspect of our week, Monday through Saturday, be lived out in worshipful thankfulness for your goodness, for your said kindness to us. We need rest. Help us to find it in you as we quit trying and put our faith in Jesus. We worship you together now. In Jesus' name, amen.